saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we start this Holy Week, we pray that we might hear your voice speaking to us through stories perhaps that are familiar, through stories perhaps that are new, that we might see them with fresh eyes, that we might meet with you afresh in the events of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to take you back to 1741. One night in 1741, a tired, bent, elderly old man shuffled listlessly along a street in London. His mind was full of doubt and despair. Once famous, he was now snubbed by all around him. Once successful, now no one wanted to know him. Four years before, he had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. It had left him paralyzed down the whole of his right side. He couldn't walk, and neither could he write. Slowly, over time, he'd had to relearn how to do both. Now, age 60, feeling very old and helplessly tired, as he walked, he simply went past a church and a cry welled up inside him. My God, my God, he said, why have you forsaken me? He shuffled on his way home. Reaching his lodgings, he saw a bulky package on his desk. He opened it, and his eyes fell on some words. The words were from Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men. The man reached for a pen and started to write. He wrote almost non-stop for 24 hours. When he finished, he slept straight for 17 hours. But something had happened. George Frederick Handel had written The Messiah. Totally out of the blue, he had written a masterpiece. The Messiah comes in surprising ways. We begin this Holy Week with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that reading that we heard a few moments ago. The end of a long journey that began in Bethlehem to Nazareth and now Jerusalem. But an even longer journey in reality, from heaven to earth, from eternity into time. The Creator becoming part of the creation. And two deliberate acts are now initiated by Jesus. He commandeers a donkey, and he enters the city from the Mount of Olives. The Messiah comes in surprising ways. At various times in the previous three years, Jesus had forbidden his followers from telling people who he was. Those who were healed were sworn to secrecy. Or perhaps he just slipped quietly away, anxious to escape the limelight. Well, now... The gloves are off. 
600 years beforehand, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah from the Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey. And now it happens. Jesus deliberately and mindfully, intentionally fulfills this prophecy. It's a signal to everyone. The Messiah is coming. He wants no one left in any doubt at all. There's to be no entourage, no outriders, no security detail, but this is a royal procession. And he asserts who he is in verse 31. He tells the disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt, a donkey, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. Jesus here is very deliberately, very intentionally, very assertively saying who he is. He is the Lord. Not just a good person, not just a good teacher, not even just a prophet. He is the Lord. And to assert this, in this city, in Jerusalem, in this week of all weeks, at the heart of the nation of Israel, in Passover week of all weeks, Jesus is leaving no room for any doubt. But for the people of Jerusalem, the Messiah comes in surprising ways. And so the drama unfolds, a week that is to change history and eternity. The disciples throw cloaks on the donkey, and people throw cloaks onto the road in front of the donkey. The red carpet is being laid out. The king is coming, and the royal procession is beginning. The crowd responds with spontaneous, joyful thanksgiving. They're obviously neither British nor Anglicans. <laughs> Verse 37, they shout out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They remember perhaps all the miracles that they've seen. The resuscitation of Lazarus. The blind man who can now see. The person with leprosy now healed. The girl who had died now eating lunch. The feeding of all those huge crowds of thousands with loaves and fish. And they proclaim Jesus to be the Messiah. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And there are echoes of the song of the angels on Christmas Eve. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. There are apparently over 360 prophecies from the Old Testament that came true in the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The chances of all those prophecies occurring in one person's life is 1 in 10 to the power of 26. Slim. Yet it is some of the Jewish people who have the toughest time believing that this really is the Messiah. After all those years of waiting, hoping, dreaming, praying, believing, expecting, trying to work out the when and the who and the how, this was not the Messiah they were expecting. For the Messiah comes in surprising ways. The Pharisees tell Jesus to calm the crowd, verse 39. 
Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus' response, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. And so he comes, the king. But king of what? Coming over the shoulder of the Mount of Olives, the traveller didn't see the temple at the heart of the city. He wouldn't see the southwest of the city, the posh part. Why is the posh part of any city always in the southwest? Instead, he would see the southeast, the ordinary part. Row upon row of ordinary houses and ordinary people. And only then in the distance would he see the temple. And as he approaches Jerusalem, we're told that he simply begins to weep. The king's response when he sees his capital. The king's response when he sees his city. The king's response when he sees Jerusalem is to say this. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And Jesus starts to look forward 40 years. He says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He looks forward to 70 AD when Rome would lay siege to Jerusalem where over a million Jews would die during a four-year siege, and the famine inside the city would be so severe that parents would eat their own children because the suffering was so bad. Jesus is king, but he's king of a ruin. The temple would be razed to the ground, and Jesus comes into his capital city, not in triumph, but in tears. The Messiah comes in surprising ways. This is not the Messiah they'd been waiting for. This is not the king they'd been expecting. No king to restore the glories of Israel, but a king in tears, weeping for his people, riding not on a white charger at the head of an army, but simply riding on a donkey rejected by the very people that he came to save. The crowd who today hail him with hosannas will soon be shouting crucify, crucify in a few days' time. Because he's not the Messiah they want. He's not the Messiah they're expecting. And they think they can mould him into their expectations and desires. And so very simply this morning, as we begin Holy Week, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Will we allow him to be who he really is? Or are we expecting a Messiah who will do what we want? Who will conform to our expectations, to our prayers, to our hopes? Or will we see that this week of all weeks is about recognising for him for who he really is. And let him be the Messiah on his terms and not ours. Are we prepared for the Messiah to come, even this week, in surprising ways? Let's pray.
Father, we do ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness when we limit you to our own understanding. When we limit you to what we think you should do, how we think you should behave. Forgive us, perhaps, when we have ceased to be surprised by the God that you are. And we ask this week that as we go through the events of Holy Week, as we spend time this week reflecting on who you are and what you did, for us as individuals, for the world, for the whole of creation, that you might surprise us again. Surprise us again with a touch of your grace. Surprise us again with a touch of your mercy. Surprise us again with a touch of your kindness. Surprise us again by increasing our vision and understanding of who you are. Would you help us this week to allow you to be who you are on your terms and to see the Messiah come in surprising ways. In Jesus' name. Amen.